What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I, I'm i reconvening. Is this how we describe it? With an old friend from undergrad. Um, it's been how many years, Matt? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, you graduated before I did. What did you graduate? 2015? Yeah. 2016? So I haven't seen yeah, you in five so years? It's been a solid five years. That's crazy. It's a long time no see. Yeah, still no see because we're just making video plays play. with your uh, your podcast, man. Getting famous. I'm trying. I'm trying. Almost 500 episodes. Almost 500. That's impressive. Thank you. Uh, I mean, so, you were there early on. Uh, you you saw early on college doing all that kind of stuff and just being obsessed with this thing for for a very long period of time but we went to north georgia together um we the reason like i reached out to you about this matt um we would spend a lot of time after class just talking about college football a lot we would do this every week um and just talk about all kinds of stuff when you weren't um giving awkward hugs to uh a girl who shall remain nameless from my past, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought about before we started recording because I was thinking about uh, just some of the people from that time period because it's been a long time. I haven't seen, other than Audrey, who's still a good friend of mine, I don't, I don't really see anybody from, from, our, from our circle, from our uh, classes. Do you? Um, that's true, honestly. I don't feel like I really keep in touch. Um, you know... Um... I don't know, are, we, are we dropping names here? Or are we just are we, what? How are we, how are we doing? Things? I was being careful because, like, my whole thing is like I didn't know who you wanted me to. Like, you have a fiance <laughs> now. I don't know what kind of names you're comfortable with me dropping, Matt. Um, you know, the, the only two guys I um ever really it's kind of interactions on Twitter and here and there. Colin Hubbard mm. and um, Kyle Funderburg. Those are the only two real guys I keep in touch with, just because Kyle's a big Georgia fan, so me and him will have uh conversations like that and. Collins doing his um doing his journalism thing. He was working in Rockdale County uh, at one point. I'm not sure where, where, what he's up to currently, but um, COVID I think 
gave a lot of people some some issues, you know. So, but yeah, I keep in touch with them. They're good guys. Colin's a, a Georgia Tech guy, so it's mm. always uh, it's always interesting to talk with a Georgia Tech fan. Interesting. I don't really remember him. I don't. I remember <laughs> Kyle. I don't remember Colin. I remember the other Colin who. Yeah, um, he was uh, he was younger than us. So since okay. I I graduated several years uh, after the typical path, I was uh, <laughs> I was in school with probably graduating with like twenty two and twenty three year olds. So, and now you're forty three. Getting there, man. You're not that Just much 30. older than me. Just thirty. How old are you now? Yeah, I was gonna say I'm twenty nine. You're. I thought you were only like a year or two older than me. I thought. Okay, okay. Yeah. How is thirty, Matt? Thirty's good, man. You like me, and, uh, me and my fiance got a house. So Ooh, we're at, we're in, uh, we're in Decula. Okay. Out there in the country. Decula. It is a little out there, but we're, uh, we're suburban, we're suburbanites, man. Okay. It's, uh, my family lives in Gwinnett County and, um, my brother, my brother and his wife live in Hamilton Mill, we're like 30 minutes from Athens. So it's, uh, it's solid. Is Decula really only 30 minutes from Athens? Yeah, it's right at 316. And it's like. I was commuting to Norcross uh, for my job before I've been working just from home for the last six months. Mm. But um, that was that was a straight commute. I actually I was working at the College Football Hall of Fame um, for only about a month making this commute. That was a that was a nice little commute. But you're not there anymore, right? No, nah, I'm not there anymore. So where what did you want to describe the mysterious day job at all? No, it's not even it's not even <laughs> so, uh, it's. It's not as exciting as mm. as a uh, talking sports, that's for sure. Okay, well, um, I'm still doing my thing and uh, started grad school the last couple of weeks, and that has uh, been a lot. So I'm up for here in your favorite place, uh, Knoxville. Yeah, man, I saw you up in Rocky Top. Are you a Tennessee fan now? Like, when did that happen? Absolutely. Yeah, it's part of the deal. When were you? A, did you just became a Tennessee fan? Yeah, as I, soon as this, you moved to Knoxville, my bills. that's where I'm getting my degree from. Is it, is that how it works? You yeah, hundred percent. No like, loyalty. I, you got no upbringing. I feel like yeah. No, yeah. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not. run from that. That definitely was a thing. But um, yeah, no, can't do it. I I I'm not a fan of people who are not who don't support the schools they go to. I think that's weird. It's not a pro team. It's not a professional sports league. Like you have to the place that you're actually spending time in, like your alma mater, you have to back. I don't know. I feel like um, it's tough, you know, and in the South, you know, you're raised uh, to be a fan of one of these college football teams, you know, right. so it's like even if you get a degree somewhere else, like, I mean, obviously, North Georgia and Georgia aren't competitors, so there's no conflict of interest there. But yeah, I guess if honestly, if I went to another big time school, it'd be tough to not be a fan of that school. So I guess I can't I can't hate on you there. I mean, I think it's just weird. It's a strange time to jump on the Tennessee bandwagon, but you know, that's that's fine. Is there a bandwagon right now? Is there a bandwagon? No, I feel Can like they just beat out Tennessee once before there's a bandwagon. Tennessee is like a stock, like you're buying low, and I feel like that's probably that's probably a good buy, honestly. I think I I like Jeremy Pruitt. I like Jeremy Pruitt, what he's doing there. Okay, well we'll get to that because we're starting um with the SEC East in our preview series. Um it's kind of insane that like Football's happening like three weeks earlier this fall in some areas, like Big 12 starting like the 12th, and then you have the SEC not starting until the end of the September. That's a little odd. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, we're we're sneaking up on the time for college football actually, fingers crossed, happening. Um, before we get in to the SEC's preview, um, what did you think about um, USC, your favorite? You you hate South Carolina. Um, getting that five star dual threat quarterback, um, Stockton. He's uh, he's looking good. Like USC, Mike Bobo already changing the narrative in Columbia. Well, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't think I even hate South Carolina because I don't even think, I feel like they're worth hating necessarily. You know, obviously they upset Georgia last year. It was a fluky, a fluky win, of course, but. One of my favorite games I, uh, from last year. The, since Steve Spurrier left, it's like that hate of the South Carolina rivalry seems to like have gone with him because Steve Spurrier just loved to antagonize Georgia more than anybody ever, you know? But, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a huge – I mean, that's basically the biggest commit they've ever gotten next to uh, Davion Clowney, you know? Yeah. So I um, – they, they talk about him like he's a dual threat. So, I mean, he's obviously a stud. I know – the state of Georgia's got a couple big time quarterbacks in that class, so hopefully Georgia can can snag the other one. Um, well, you already have the best one with Vandegrift. Oh no, he's um Vandegrift's twenty twenty one. This guy's twenty twenty two. Oh okay. So and then MJ Morris is I think he's from Carrollton. He's like transferring to Pace Academy. Mm. He's like also a Where dual threat quarterback, it's like top twenty thirty player in the country or something like that. Where is Pace? Pace is like right in like Buckhead, like downtown Atlanta. That's right. That's yeah. I actually I covered a game there um, for Forsyth County News uh, when Jamari Sawyer was there because he was like a big time five star that Mm -hmm. Georgia got. And yeah, it's I was like blown away by the campus. The camp the the field is actually in Mableton, the stadium they play at, but the campus is like in. The fact downtown that you're calling it a campus, campus just like mansion, like million dollar house after million dollar house, and then this high school. It's like Arthur Blank's names on like one and a half of the school. The school is like ridiculous. Interesting. Yeah, I've seen that. It's I'm like because you know how high schools have like these uh, booster boards outside. You know, it's uh, Marco's Pizza or something. It's like they have a huge Atlanta Falcons logo on this. <laughs> Atlanta Falcons are a high school sponsor of this team of this school. That's wild. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Their softball facility is like better than North Georgia's. Yeah, I, oh I God, bet it is. Field, everything about this is kind of, I did not know this was a thing. Yeah, Pace Academy's big time. They've had some big time dudes the last few years. Um, that's where Wendell Carter came from. Um, damn it. There's been a bunch of them in recent years. Interesting. Um, what do you think of Trey Lance playing a fall game in 2020? Did you see that they're planning to do like a, just some sort of just showcase for him? If you're Trey Lance, would you do it? I saw that. I mean, yeah. I mean, what's, what's the point? It's like, it's not like you're playing against a D one team. It's like, it's one, it's one thing if he had like, I don't know, Notre Dame or BYU or something like a, one of these independents is just trying to fill their schedule or something. But like, what do you, what do you gain? from like putting up huge numbers against central Arkansas, you know, isn't that who they're playing central Arkansas? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I definitely wouldn't play if I was him. It's just, that would be, that would be like the biggest horror story ever. Just like, Oh, 
this guy was destined to be a top 10 pick, but he decided to play a one game season and tore his ACL or something worse. Like who knows? Yeah. I mean, shoot me 20 ACL. You might be out eight months now and you're good to go, but who knows? I mean, yeah. Or you could tear your Achilles or I, I just don't see the, like, I don't see a stock rising from a good showing against Central Arkansas. I don't. Yeah, really exactly. Like, like maybe people will be watching it. Like, I don't know if it's, if it's going to be on a Saturday, like no one's probably going to watch it if it's on a Thursday or Friday night. And you know, maybe just some mainstream college football fans will be like, well, like I would probably watch that, but that's the only way I'm going to watch it. If it's the only thing on, like if I could watch Vanderbilt and Kentucky or, North Dakota State and Central Arkansas. I'm probably going to watch Vanderbilt and Kentucky. Well, no I would never recommend Vanderbilt watching and Vanderbilt and Kentucky. There. Vanderbilt, Kentucky Vanderbilt. sounds like a gigantic waste of your time. <laughs> That's a valid point, honestly. I've seen Vanderbilt and Kentucky, and I know that it's not going to be worth it. I, I could at least watch this guy and make, maybe he'll make some plays. So maybe well, I, maybe Kentucky's I'll... at least trending up, but it's just that offense is still... We're in wait-and-see mode, and Joey Gaywood might be under center this fall. So, like... I, I don't know. I, I and Ver, the Vanderbilt fired both their coordinators after last year, and they just keep. I think Ted Roof is now their DC. Like they're just, they're just cycling through guys. Um, Derek Mason just, he's gotten a lot of coordinator chances, but that's just that's a terrible job. Vanderbilt, what do you think's the worst job, Vanderbilt or Arkansas? I go back and forth on this. I think it's Arkansas actually. I feel like it's Arkansas just because Vanderbilt, the expectations are just so much lower that you can kind of like turn your nose up. They're like, oh, well, we're a we're a, an academic institution around here. Maybe you guys like football, but we're about more important things like raising young men and and that kind of cliche stuff that people love to say. It's like Arkansas, they're like still they still remember being good. So they're like, no, nah, this is garbage. We need to be we need to have a good team. About what Arkansas should actually be. Say that again. Bobby Petrino ruined everything for Arkansas fans. He set expectations out of whack. Well, it's tough because it, I feel like Arkansas can be good. Cause I mean, Houston, How? Nuts, have you seen that? that division? Like Houston Nutt made two sec championships, right? Um, they yeah. lost to Georgia and they lost to Florida uh, one year. I think Houston that was the head coach for both of those teams. Like Arkansas can be good. It's just since Saban like got the SEC, it's just I feel like everything's there's there's no chance for half the half the West anymore. You know what's crazy? But, is they have the best QB room of anyone in the West. Is that right? Who's yeah, there? They got dude. They have Hornsby, Malik Hornsby. They have uh <laughs> jones jr down there they have felipe franks who is a hit or miss and then they have uh what's his name jefferson they just have four and five stars everywhere like they they actually have developed a nice solid qb room and kendall bryles um you know if sam Pittman is able to get the kind of recruits or even it's somewhere close between what he got in georgia because i mean he was the best offensive line recruiter in the country for years if he can get some of those guys at Arkansas and the offense, like you have a just a QB room full of four and five stars. Like, I don't know, maybe. Barry yeah, that's him. the thing I wonder. I mean, obviously, kind of, we kind of generalize these coaches based, kind of pigeonhole them sometimes based on you know what positions, their background. But it seems like if Sam Sam Pittman is building a team his way, it's going to be 
that running juggernaut, huge offensive line, that kind of team. And it just seems way more difficult to build that kind of roster. It's like there's a few places in the SEC that can recruit well enough to build those kind of rosters. But it's like if you're going to like knock off BAM or something, you got to do what Auburn does and just like have this kind of cute offense that's like spread out. You just hope you get a good quarterback some years and that can kind of just transcend how good your team can be because if you're just straight building them like from the bottom to the top i just i just don't know if arkansas is the kind of job that can that can be built that way you know it's like when bobby petrino had them successful they were this you know air raid offense and they were explosive and i feel like if that, i don't know that that's what sam Pittman's going to do but you would have to think with his background he's going to want to get these behemoth offensive linemen and run the football yeah, and I mean, this is the problem that Brett Bielma ran into, where he wanted to play like Wisconsin in the SEC West, and it just doesn't doesn't work. Exactly, and and if you're if you're at LSU and you're at Georgia, you know, you're at Alabama, it's like that can work because I feel even Texas A and M can recruit well enough to get you know the elite players it takes to do that. But it seems like the only way to beat Bama, it's like it's kind of like been a cliche, you know, you can't out Alabama, Alabama, Georgia's been trying to do it for a decade. It seems like we're getting closer, but we still haven't done it. But it's like the only way to beat them seems to be these, the way Clemson spreads them out and you have a dual threat quarterback, the way, you know, Ohio state, when they had that loaded roster and a dual threat quarterback, it seems like it's only those guys that give Alabama a completely different look that ever beat. Alabama you know what I mean that's true all right well let's get in to the SEC East I I want to start with Florida Florida is the the trendy the sexy pick to win the East a lot of Georgia fans scoffing at that notion um there's a case we made that Kyle Trask is the best returning starting quarterback in the SEC um, something that's interesting, a stat that I found about this, which is still mind blowing, but also I guess not that crazy to, when you think about the offenses of Florida is kind of put out as of late. Um, Kyle Trask. So UF last year after Trask replaced Felipe Franks, they averaged 300 passing yards for the first time since 2001. That was Steve Spurrier's last time. So like Kyle Trask is the best passing quarterback, uh, Florida's had since 2001. That's incredible to me because that's you know, obviously not accurate. What do you mean? You think he's a better quarterback than Tim Tebow? Or oh Chris no, 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 no! I'm saying by passing, like it's just kind of crazy that they went 20 years without throwing the ball for 300 yards a game on average. Like that's just wild to me. I think it's I think it's misleading, only because Florida was like the worst team in the SEC running the ball last year. So I feel like it was almost out of necessity, like they couldn't run the ball. So it was it was almost like the passing game kind of supplemented the running game. You know what I mean? Like if they just used kind of the short passing game to make up for like the lack of running game. I think I think their leading rusher had like 600 yards or who was it? Michael P. Ryan had 676 last year. It's like that's terrible for someone who was healthy all season. You know what I mean? And so. I think Trask definitely surprised everyone how good he was. It's I was not a big Felipe Franks fan. I'll, I'll be honest. The most disappointing prediction I've ever had in my life. 
I was like, I was killing Felipe Franks going into last year. I was just like, he will not be the starting quarterback by the Georgia game. That was like my bold prediction going into the season. And the dude gets hurt like second game. I was so salty about that. I was like, I can't even see if I was right or not. I was, I'm not, I'm not a Felipe Franks fan. You probably would have been right. He was not, he was not playing well. Uh, But I mean, Trask, Trask put up great numbers. I just, I kind of get the vibe that Dan Mullen was like, I got to give, props to Dan Mullen because I he's definitely an excellent coach because I feel like you just watch Trask and he's clearly so limited like physically he's just he's just not he's he's not fast he doesn't have a big arm he's just he's just kind of that game manager you know I mean he's throwing over 300 yards a game so his he was clearly putting up good stats or however many yards you said but I just I give credit to Dan Mullen for just almost disguising Trask's limitations physically. Trask is just like, I don't know what, who would you compare him to? He's just like a lot of Greg McElroy energy there, but like his balls are not impressive. He throws floaters. Like he doesn't really throw an impressive ball, but something that I wonder about with Mullen, and this is, I think it's, it's a weird problem to have where we have a lot of coaches who recruit really well, that cannot put it together that don't develop a bunch of four and five stars well and they just they it just for whatever reason they're better at getting people in the door than they are at developing um willie taggart might be one of the better examples of that as of late um but dan mullen being 21 and 5 at florida he obviously got mississippi state number one in the country he I, i wonder if he's somebody who just does better with less talented teams. Like he's just someone that will always be better off coaching a team that's raked like 32 in recruiting at one year and like 17 the next year where like, he's not going to be in a position where he's just getting five star after five star and he's okay. Like it's almost like a chip on his shoulder where he's developing guys that, everybody else in the sec outside of i guess sabin can't do like he is developing across the board it doesn't matter who he has he's going to find a way to win football games and he wins ugly he wins no matter what but there is a ceiling where like because he doesn't have that one last thing like dan mullen is an a minus coach the one thing that he is still missing and he's missed everywhere. And it seems like at this point, you're probably just like, he doesn't want to do this is that he has not assembled a staff around him that will put him on par with Georgia, Bama, LSU, Tennessee is now on that list, I think. And those other programs that just like, they know that the recruiting part is just a must. If you really want to win a national title. And I don't think he's ever going to get the bodies that he needs to get to that level. Do I think he can sneak around and win an sec East every three years and something like that. But like for him to really build this Florida program back to what they were during urban Myers tenure, he has to elevate the recruiting stuff, but I also just don't think that's who he is. And I think he's just better off and enjoys developing four stars rather than just adding five star after five star. And also he doesn't have the personnel like that. That staff does not, they just don't recruit at that level. They don't have it in house. And I wonder when that starts to really mess with them because Tennessee's coming and USC is putting a lot more money into this and Kentucky is getting better at this, but if Florida really wants to compete 
with Georgia's and the LSU's and the Alabama's and the Texas A&M now of the world, they have to do better in that regard. And they're just not. But at the same time, they're never going to fall off because Mullen's always going to win 10 games. He'll always win 10 games. Dan well, yeah, Taxes, Dan Mullen win 10 games. When you, when you talk about the recruiting, is it seems like every single new coach at a major program gets gets that initial spike in recruiting. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's Butch Jones or Jim Harbaugh or, you know, whoever. It, it seems like Jeremy Pruitt, when those guys first get there, it's like that's when you're selling the new vision to the recruits. And it's like you could be coming off a six and six season. It doesn't matter. It's like it's going to be different. There's a new culture and everything. And you see maybe that first – or second recruiting class gets in the top five, top three or something because people are, are buying the new energy, what they're selling the new program. And it's interesting that Florida goes 11 and two his first year, or 10 and three his first year. And then it doesn't translate to any sort of improvement in recruiting. It's like Florida, Florida essentially can roll over out of bed and, and get a top 20 recruiting class, you know? It's it it seemed like McElwain was almost trying to see how bad of a recruiting class you could possibly get at Florida because yeah. being 14th or 15th at Florida is that's like that's just unheard of to be that low you know and, and some of those classes ended up around 10 with like late uh, finishes but it's like 10 at Florida is 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 fine but it's probably the fifth sixth maybe even seventh best class in the sec some years and that's just that's not going to be good enough to beat alabama to beat georgia and like if you look at what tennessee's building it seems like dan mullen is constantly talking and telling everyone how good we are while jerry pruitt's kind of got his head down and just kind of building the team from the ground up like recruiting kind of the way georgia built their program he seems to kind of he clearly comes from that Nick Saban tree. It seems like he's kind of building Tennessee the same way Kirby built Georgia. Like maybe the Georgia was much better off when Kirby arrived in Athens than when Jeremy Pruitt arrived in Knoxville. But it seems like they're kind of at least have that same that same philosophy for the way they're building their program. And you know who's who knows what's better. But it's it's oh, just interesting that, that uh, Dan Mullen's got the the on field results. And it's still not translating to doing anything in recruiting. It's also especially sad. with how loaded the state of Florida is. Well, the one thing that has to be mentioned, and this is something that Florida State also struggles with, um, it's not their fault. But Bama now goes into the state of Florida. When Florida State was at the top, and when Spurrier was at the top of Florida, it was just those two schools, and then Miami. That was all they competed with. Now you have Butch Davis at FIU. Now you had Lane Kiffin at FAU. Now you have so many different schools in that area that are pulling players that you used to get. And they don't have that depth anymore that they used to because those three stars are going to go and play and maximize their ability in Boca Raton. And this is something we don't think about enough when it comes to Florida and Florida State and the the just the hurdles they're having to jump through now is that there's just more competition in the state of Florida. And there's more competition nationally from programs like Oregon is coming into Florida. USC is coming into Florida. Um, North Carolina. Like, this is Texas. Yeah, I mean, Clem- Georgia. Georgia's Oklahoma. always got players from Florida. And yeah. yeah Clem- Clemson, too. Clemson is the best example of this, probably, yeah. I mean, I don't – it's it's hard to say that because there's just – there's so much talent to go around in the state of Florida. It's like there's – I think in the uh, – the, top 24 seven there's like 40 
40 something players from the state of Florida, just in like the top 250, 300 players in the country. And I don't think, even though, you know, you, you might be right, maybe in terms of those, those 50 to 85th scholarships that used to go to Florida, Florida state are now going to FAU and central Florida and South Florida and things like that. That, that could be true in terms of building a roster, but that's honestly not even Florida's problem. They're, their problem is not getting the elite players that come out of the state, you know, and that's just, that seems but how crazy. Are you meeting Clemson? Yeah. Two or three of the top 25 players in the state of Florida going to the university of Florida while Florida state is going six and seven or seven and six, whatever their record was. And Miami is on their third coach in the last five years or so, you know, Miami is clearly, and it seems like if you look at the recruiting trail, Miami got the new coach and new blood, new culture in there, and they're starting to kind of create a buzz on the recruiting trail. It's just it's interesting how that happens with every other program just about except for Florida when they've actually have the on-field results to back it up. I just want to see what Mullins teams look like with three years of top five recruiting. That is what I want. I want to see a Dan Mullen coach team because I think he's the best coach, best developing coach in the SEC. I think it's him. And if you want to say Saban, that's fine too. But I think he's, I, when I hear Georgia fans talk about Kirby, I'm like, I don't think Kirby's what sets him apart is his recruiting. Like Kirby's just an unbelievable, insane recruiter. And that matters a lot, especially in today's college football. But in terms of in-game management and developing talent, I don't know how you make the case that Kirby is better than Dan Mullen. I just don't. And I don't think Kirby has the same success he uh, Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State. I I just don't. I mean that 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 very well. It's you know you can never. It's a hypothetical. You can never say how he would have done at another program. But I, I think this is the. I think this is the final year where people can really cling to that. I think if I think if Dan Mullen and Florida beats Georgia this year, then people can almost they'll probably hold on that onto that forever. Kirby's a better recruiter, but Dan Mullen's a better coach. Yeah. But if, if he beats, if he beats, uh, if Kirby beats Dan Mullen again, it's just like, this guy is now 0 and 4 against Kirby. True. 0 and 3 at Florida, but that Mississippi state team, I mean, in, in, um, Mullen's final year was probably his second best team the entire time he was there. That was, that was a very good team with like three or four first round picks on it. Was this the one in Athens where your Georgia blew him out? Oh yeah, they okay. got smoked in 2017. I that think, was where the uh, the first play they went deep. Yeah, they had the flea flicker, yeah. and then Dominic Sanders had that that pick off the tip, and that place was just oh, that place was going nuts. But Are um, you there? no, I just feel you could just feel it. Yeah. But um, yeah, and so I think this is definitely the year that's going because I obviously as a Georgia fan, I roll my eyes every time people say, Oh, well, Dan Mullen is just better at developing talent because people love to point at the five stars that don't pan out at Georgia. But Mm -hmm. it's like when you get so many elite players, then all the players that are not playing are elite players, you know, because they got beat out by other elite players. But it's also people like to ignore the Deandre Baker's three star that became a Jim Thorpe award winner. And, Tay Crowder was like a two-star running back, wide receiver coming out of high school, and turning Kirby turned him into an camp. NFL linebacker. Say that again? Tay Crowder's turning heads in Giants camp. Yeah, exactly. Wasn't and the last in the draft? was just like a sprinter, and now he's turning into like a top two-round pick or so at corner. It, it It's like for every D'Angelo Gibbs or, I don't know, 
uh, Otis Reese or um, any other five stars that just didn't really ever pan out at Georgia. Although Otis Reese, I feel like if he stayed, this could have been his year. But um, any you know, those five stars that didn't pan out at Georgia, it it seems like there's a, a three star that took his job. You know what I mean? So it's hard to say Kirby's not developing when Jordan Davis is a three star nose tackle and coming in now he's a sophomore. He, he's a junior this year and he might be the best nose tackle in the country. You know what I mean? True. Old the, Georgia. The, the the fake punt against Alabama is damning, and <laughs> that's uh, it's tough to bounce back from that. And it's just the the two the two second half backup quarterback losses to Alabama. It's just it's brutal, but it's 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 hard to point to anything. It's hard to say Kirby's just not a good game manager. You know what I mean? Or good in game coach. Like, and he's also that's another thing too. Like Dan Mullen's been a coach for what thirteen years, twelve yeah. years. It's like Kirby's going on year five. Like this guy, he's just now figuring things out. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with Georgia's offense. Well, we'll get to Georgia. We'll get to Georgia because I have some questions that I'm going to pose to you. Um, okay. When you look at Florida's roster, though, and you look at Kyle Pitts, who seems like a first-round tight end, um, and you look at Kyle Trask and what this offense can do, are you a believer that there is enough firepower and their schedule puts them in a position to win the East? Because they lost Tennessee early in the season. Like, they now come here in December. Last time they did that was uh, after 9-11 where they had to move that game. Yeah, that was awesome, too. Yeah. That, uh... It's going to be cold. Florida having to come here at the end of the year is a problem for them. That is a actual problem. I know Tennessee never beats Florida and Tennessee never beats Alabama, but I, I would be very nervous if I'm a Florida fan, because like, can you imagine they get the, the monkey off their back against Georgia midway and then they just blow it at the end of the season because they had to go to Tennessee at the final week in Tennessee and put it together with their group of guys. Harrison Bailey's in there. At this I'll be point. honest. When I was going through the the week by week uh, predicting the uh, the records and everything, I I sat on that Florida Tennessee game for a while. I was like, ah. I I wanted to pick Tennessee, but ultimately I I couldn't do it. I went I went with Florida. You should never I, pick Tennessee against Florida or Alabama until they prove prove you wrong. Oh, Florida and Alabama are two completely different things. But um, well, they lose to both often. Um, Georgia's a different story. Georgia's just true. like who fucking knows. But uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so, what is your prediction? What do you What do you think their final record is? Do they win the East? I do not think Florida wins the East this year. Okay. I think I think the this, the way the schedule was prior to the pandemic, I think, was so favorable to Florida. And I thought I think that was their only chance because. Maybe Georgia slip. Maybe Georgia beats you, but since they have Alabama, maybe Georgia slips up and loses one more, and that's how Florida can get. And obviously, they can beat Georgia, but obviously, I'm not going. I'm not predicting that, as you can obviously tell how I'm talking. But I yeah, you got uh, Vanderbilt winning the East this year. <laughs> with having a ten game conference schedule, I think that really evened. Georgia and Florida's schedules, even though Alabama is definitely clearly the best team on either team's schedule. I think Florida adding tech at Texas A&M, I think, and not that I'm buying the Texas A&M Kool-Aid that everyone is selling every single off season, but I think that's going to be a tough game three games in. You know what I honestly thought was the trap game for Florida 
I think they had old at Ole Miss sandwished yeah. in between LSU and Georgia. That's the second game of the season for them, right? Say that again. Is that second game for them? Let me see. That's the opening game. Oh, that's the opening game. Yeah. So I felt like at Ole Miss was a trap game for Florida, like sandwiched in between LSU and Georgia. But now as the the, the Matt season Coral opener, Bowl. it's like I don't think that because that John Reese Plumley, they dudes. He might not sneaky start. Sneaky athletic, as they like to say. I don't think he's going to start. Who's going to start? Matt Coral. No, John Reese Plumley. He would he rushed for like eleven hundred yards last year. I think year. he was like third in the country in like rushing yards per game. Um, no, he he can't throw downfield, which is a problem. But also, I don't think Kiffin and that offense prefers a John like John Reese Plumley was built for Rich Rod's offense last year. I don't think Kiffin's going to want that. And people forget Cora was a five star. Um, he's bounced around a lot, um, but that's why I was calling the Coral Bowl because didn't he? He was at Florida first. And then he I can't even remember because I just was thinking about the recruiting. I think I don't think he ever I think he started at Ole Miss, but I no, think he I thought he was committed to he, he must have been committed to Florida. Let me pull this I up. I think he was. Because I remember he named Georgia as leader at one point and then He decommitted from Florida, yeah. So he actually he's okay. been at Ole Miss the whole time, but he was a huge decommitment from Florida. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, I would not be I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, Matt. Do not be surprised if Matt Coral is under center in week one. That's a, that's a bold prediction. But what, John Reese Plumley was eighth in the SEC. 1,000 yards rushing, 12 rushing touchdowns. Did you say like, eighth in the SEC? He's eighth in the SEC in rushing. Oh, okay. Hmm. So, I don't know. I feel like you, you're going to want that, uh, Maybe. that dual threat. It's just something that... They'll probably the use packages. Off. He might not even be a dual threat. He might just be a runner. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like I think he just might be a running back. He might just be Taysom Hill. That could be true. What, let me see. Um, this is Bach. Oh yeah, he threw four touchdowns and three picks last year. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like I don't, I don't think Kiffin's gonna want this. Like Kiffin worked with Blake Sims, but like, I don't know. I don't think this. Yeah, is... Blake Sims. Blake Sims is honestly the most underrated. What? Alabama quarterback of the Saban era. Most underrated? Without a doubt. Sure. He, he put up huge numbers. Mm-hmm. And Alabama's quarterbacks, like, until Tua never put up numbers. Well, it was until Kiffin came. So, I mean, that could be it. But I feel like his ability, I feel like the way A.J. McCarron and Greg McElroy get talked about, like, Blake Sims. Did people was, talk about them? They were fine. That Like, McCarron was okay. McElroy, ugh. But like, I mean, I guess in in college, obviously people know they they weren't any NFL quarterbacks. But I feel like they yeah. get a lot of love for the I for the team success. I it's like since they lost in the playoff, it's like oh Blake Sims trash. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Bama for you. High expectations. <laughs> but I think he like he like led the SEC in like every passing category that year. Like he was he was really good. And it's like Kyle Trask might currently be the best returning quarterback in the SEC. But the only reason is because this has got to be the worst crop of returning quarterbacks the SEC has like maybe ever had. Yeah, I would agree. Like Kellen Mond is like the the garbage time king. He's the greatest quarterback in garbage time history. He's like his team's down two or three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Like he's it's about to be the Kellen Mond show. He's about to go off and make some plays and be like that close to winning the game. Kellen Mond is a, that's what we'll be talking about next week. Cause I, I go back and forth on Texas A&M every day. It seems like, um, 
Well, let's get to I your I was team. a believer in Kellen Mond at one point, but I was like, you well, fool me once. Year nine. Shame uh, on him. You fooled me, you're not going to fool me again. I mean, this is what, year you're nine for him? <laughs> yeah, right? He has it been at Texas A&M and in college longer than Kenny Hill was, I think, at TCU. Like Kenny Hill just kept popping up. I'm like, wow, how, what, what is happening? I think he's a coach now. Um, Kenny Trail, he's a coach? Yeah, I think Kenny Hill is a offensive analyst at TCU. He might need to play because Max Duggan's not playing. So maybe they give him another year eligibility. Oh, yeah. I think I heard a former walk-on from Georgia, Matthew Downing, might, might win that TCU starting quarterback job. Mm. That can't be a good thing. No. Maybe he was a good walk-on. I don't know. But TCU is... No, losing Duggar is championships a few years ago, and he was good last year. He's fun. He's a fun. Uh, he's a he's a good just like scramble and make something out of nothing quarterback. Um, Georgia. Whew. I don't want to talk about them. I hate talking about Georgia, as you know, Matt. but um, <laughs> we have to talk about Georgia, and I guess we should assume Jamie Newman starting, right? I would say that's the safe assumption. Okay. Although, I mean, JT Daniel, this, I'd say he's definitely one of the bigger beneficiaries of this season being moved back, coming off ACL surgery. It mm-hmm. might allow him some time to catch up, but I'm, I'm in, I'm in the Jamie Newman camp. Obviously I want the best player to play, but I want to see George with a dual threat quarterback. I have a take for you. What's that? Georgia's schedule is not good. As in it's easy? No, it's it, it got worse for them. Like certain teams benefited from the all SEC schedule. Certain teams went the Arkansas route where you're like, oh, they're absolutely going 0 and 10 and this isn't right, and they pissed somebody off the league office. But um them getting Auburn at home, Tennessee at home, at Bama, at Kentucky, basically a road game against Florida. Like they're not going undefeated in that stretch. They're just not. And yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I um I was I was not a fan of that stretch because I feel like Tennessee has always been that early October game and then Auburn's always that mid November game and they were gonna swap that this year, you know, mm. and play Auburn early in the season. I assume they would have still split those games up and have one of them early and one of them late. And it's just I feel like, especially as maybe as a biased Georgia fan, it seems like it seems like the first two or three games, Georgia's never as sharp as they are going to be. And it seems like that second half of the year is when they always, like, that's when their good seasons happen and they get that big win over Florida and they beat Auburn. It's like they kind of build that momentum as the season goes. But it's like, I think, yeah, the, the three toughest or three of the four toughest games on the schedule are that week three, two, three, and four against Auburn, Tennessee, and Bama. It's and just unbalanced. Because if you look at tough. the second half, all they got is at Missouri, Miss State at home, at South Carolina, and Vanderbilt at home. Like, they should win all four. Like, yeah, like, that's a terrible final four games. Like, it's obviously Georgia lost to South Carolina last they're year. They're not so losing back to back years. So they're going to put, like, they're going to curb stomp. I and mean, Marshawn Lloyd's now out for the season in South Carolina. Like, they're, they're going to curb stomp South Carolina. I would assume so. But, you know, you never know. And it's like, I just, it seems like having bigger games is almost like something to work towards, you know? It's like, it's what keeps you sharp in those, maybe that that Vanderbilt-Mississippi State game keeps you sharp because you got Auburn next week or something. But having Florida on November 7th and then 
after that, it's like four four more games. It's like, well, let's just hope we stay undefeated and get to the SEC championship. It's it's, it's uh, it is kind of a buzzkill. I was thinking the same thing when it came out. I would I would have liked at least one of those games of Auburn or Tennessee to be down the stretch. And more importantly, the SEC just missed a golden opportunity. Like, there's all these locked rivalries with the ACC, with Clemson and Georgia Tech and Florida State. It's like, this is the one year where it's only SEC. Like, let's build some drama. Let's handpick it and make the last week of the season, like, the de facto semifinals for the SEC championship. Let's put Georgia, Florida, week week 11. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and who, whose idea is it? to have Auburn and Alabama not play on the final game of the season. Like, what are we, are we trying to reinvent the wheel? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, Auburn, Alabama is, is the season finale. Like, that's just how it is. Like, also, I, I hated that when I saw it. How do you explain the logic behind traveling to Missouri but not playing Georgia Tech at home? Oh, I know it does. It does definitely look stupid. We but do it's, logic with some of this stuff. Where it's because like, yeah, of the it's because of the conference, you know. They, but like, how is it safer to travel to Missouri, but not just like go to Atlanta? I don't yeah, understand it's, this. It's it's wild for sure, and I feel like they definitely could have still played those. And I I don't really know what the distinction is to be honest. And it's like those in-state rivalries are just they should so have kept important. the in-state rivalries if they're out of conference. I don't understand no, no. how you. Just don't do that. No, that was a that was a mistake for sure. But I just I can't even say anything because I just I just hope we have a season. That's that's the most sure. important thing. Well, but yeah, I just I feel like they missed an opportunity to just make the final week of just make it rivalry week and just I don't know LSU A and M, uh, Auburn Alabama, Georgia Florida gives the Egg Bowl. You know some some good rivalries to close out the season, but. Yeah, that's just me. What do I know? Greg Sankey's doing a hell of a job. <laughs> He's actually been better than I expected he would be. Um, George Pickens, is he finally uncorked in Todd Monken's offense in 2020? Dude, George Pickens is that dude, man. George Pickens, like... Georgia fans have a really love-hate relationship with him. My dad... Uh, why, like, I, I love watching George against my family now with George Pickens because there is such a strong love-hate relationship with him. It's fantastic. Well, I mean, there people talked a lot of smack about him coming into his freshman year, like about speculating about his grades, about his character and all that. Like so many Auburn fans I talked to are just like, oh, this guy's never going to. Well, hold on. He's going to be a great quarterback at Auburn in two years when he yeah, gets right? into the playoff. Yep. Let's, let's hope that never happens. But uh, uh, yeah, I feel like George Pickens, he's obviously the. I feel like for some reason, some Georgia fans hype up that fight against Georgia Tech. Like, oh, we're smashing skulls or something. It's like he's in – that was so stupid to get yeah. ejected. It's like Georgia Tech's not playing for anything. If anything, that that guy just got some satisfaction on ruining Georgia's chances to win the SEC championship because not that they would Well, hold on. They didn't have a chance. Having George Pickens for game. four quarters yeah. would have – say what? They did, let, let, let's be clear. Georgia – Going into that game, had no shot at being the LSU. There was well, they had they had a slim shot. James Coley was not beating until Joe DeAndre S- until DeAndre Swift is not healthy and George Pickens isn't there for the first game. It's like or for the first half, it's like Cager was already our only consistent receiver for most of the season until Pickens kind of came on in the second half. And then DeAndre Swift is clearly our best player. So like when you watch that Alabama SEC championship in 2018, it's like. 
DeAndre Swift is like the best player on the field. Like he was just making elite Alabama defensive players like look foolish and make him catch out of the backfield. It's like DeAndre Swift is going to have to be like extraordinary for us to beat LSU. And then when he wasn't healthy, it was like, well, pretty much got no shot. Yeah. Because our defense was rowdy last year, but the offense has got to do something to keep him off the field. Because I honestly feel like, George, what was it, 30, 37-10? Was that the final score? It, it's interesting how... LSU? Yeah. I think it was, I, It felt like 73-10. to 10, Well, but. it's interesting how I block out the score of those losses. I don't remember those as well. But uh, it, honestly, the 37-10 seemed like a moral victory when they were putting up 50 on Clemson and putting up 70 on Oklahoma. Yeah, that's true. It was just... Uh, Georgia last year... This is one of the biggest things. So, like, I'm nervous that if you're a Georgia fan, like, Jamie Newman, PFF loves him. He obviously performed exceptionally well at Wake Forest on a smaller smaller scale. But no spring practice for him. He's thrown into a new offense. Like, Todd Monken, the, the difference between what Georgia was running last year with James Coley and what Kirby's comfortable with versus what Todd Monken is going to do where he's going to be in the shotgun at the three-yard line and he is going to be looking to pass and do these quick in-outs. And um, he is going to use James Cook, I'm sure, spread out wide a bunch. I'm When Georgia fans get really hyped about Zemir White, I don't really understand because I don't think he's going to be getting as many carries as, like, DeAndre Swift and Nick Chubb and all those guys used to get. Um, I think Georgia's going to run the ball significantly less. And I wonder if that sows a disconnect between Kirby and Monken because Kirby may want to, he may know that he has to change the offense and adapt at the times like Saban did. Cause Saban years ago did not want to do this. He did not want to do what Kiffin wanted. And he got to the point where he's like, I have to adapt. He hates the way they play offense. He's actually said like, he hates the way most teams play offense. Now um, it goes against like every fiber of his being, but I just, I look at this group and I think, okay, no practice. They lost a bunch of offensive line help. Like they, they're plugging in a lot of different guys. Cade Mays gone. Hopefully gets that waiver for Tennessee <laughs> as he should. Um, should he though? Yeah, he should. Um, I think, I think so. Uh, Trey Smith needs some, needs some friends in the offensive line. And I just, I think about it and I'm like, I think the defense is a sure thing. The one thing about Georgia that I'm certain of is their defense and I think their pass rush will be back. And I think this pass rush, and I'm interested to hear what you think about um, just what Malik Herring and those guys are going to do on the uh, the edge. Because Georgia's set, I think, in the back, LeCount and everybody else, like they're, they're deep across the board on defense. The defense is going to be top five in the country. I just, I think they're still going to go through a lot of growing pains. And Georgia fans who were hoping to turn the page on frustrating offenses I don't think you're walking into a fun, just Joe Burrow, Joe Brady type deal from last year where Joe Brady came in and changed everything. But I don't think that's what's going to happen here. Part of it's practice. Part of it's the fact that they're replacing a bunch of talent. And the other part of it is just, I don't know if Kirby's going to be all the way on board with it. Is this all fair? I feel like those are some fair criticisms. I'll start by saying Mike Bobo won like national coordinator awards. And if you ask Georgia fans, he was like terrible as jobs. So for, I think you can safely bet that Georgia fans are not going to be happy with the offensive coordinator. Cause it seems like we're never happy with the offensive coordinator. But with that said, I think Kirby, yes, Kirby is going to open up the offense, but I feel like that's a very, I don't know, over 
kind of exaggerated narrative that kind of people talk about, oh, Georgia's stuck in the Stone Age with the offensive line and everything like that. It's it's like two years ago, 2018, Georgia was, I think, second in the SEC in points per game, like scoring like 38 points a game or so. Like our offense was explosive. We had four good receivers. It's like the, with I think losing J.J. Holloman, him getting kicked off the team last year, made a huge difference because you already were losing Miko Hardman, Riley Ridley, and Terry Godwin to the NFL, and Isaac Nada leaving early to the NFL for some reason as well. And then when J.J. Holloman was kicked off, it's like that just got rid of the top four receivers and the starting tight end. Jake Fromm, not the most – doesn't have the big, the strong arm. He seemed like he was a guy that was kind of built on timing and chemistry. And we just had no consistency at wide receiver last year. I think if Georgia's get some consistent wide receiver play, the offense is completely different. And it's like Georgia is always going to be a balanced, going to want to be a balanced team because, I mean, a coach's job is to get the most out of the team. And you can't walk into Georgia's locker room and see – all these four and five star recruits on the offensive line and all these big time running backs and think we should air the ball out 50 times a game. You know, it's just, it's but not that's what market's going to do. That's what you, he's not, he's do. not going to throw the ball 50 times a game. It's just, I, he's probably going to, he's know. going to make our offense more unpredictable and just have a better, maybe better passing concepts and more creative concepts. Like, did you watch the Bucks with Monken? Have you watched what Monken does everywhere he goes? He's not a he doesn't. You're not going to see any eye formation. Z- Zamir White is not going to get the same opportunities that Chubb and uh, well, that's and that. that's that's true. But I mean, Georgia runs out of the shotgun plenty. You know what I mean? Well, I mean it's now it's 99. Like, like I it's would not be surprised like surprised to ever see Jamie Newman under. Well, for under some center. reason they got they got rid of the the toss sweep. That's the bread and butter Georgia football right there. Well, that's they've, gone. They've gotten rid of. They haven't really been doing that the last couple of years anyway. So I, I feel like that's, I, I think James Cook is like the, the strange, the strange person to, to me that Georgia fans just seem to be so obsessed with. It, it well, seems like every, every Georgia fan I hear is like, Oh, James Cook, you're, just wait to see how they use this guy. And I'm yeah. kind of like, he's been here for two years now. And well, this yeah, is more he, of an offense that's conducive to what he's going to be able to do. And, and that could be true, but he seems to, yeah, ball out and have a couple touchdowns when we play Austin P. But oh. when you play Florida and you play Alabama, I feel like James Cook is nowhere to be found. I'm just fiery. I'm, James Cook slander was not expecting this from you. Well, it's not, I'm not saying he's not, he doesn't still have the potential to be good. I just, I'm, it's strange. The obsession that so many Georgia fans have that like, he's going to be hyped up. And I'll admit, I'm not like, as as uh not gonna say excited i'm not just as sure that every other georgia fan is that zamir white is going to be the next in the legend of running back you can we see if his knees still work that's what i'm saying like i'm sorry like this guy's what is it three three he doesn't his knees are not real anymore he is a cyborg at this point i remember rusty mansell rusty mansell is the best the best in the business as far as i'm concerned in the recruiting game and this man said uh, Zamir White was the best high school running back tape he'd ever seen in his entire career. And that that goes a long way. And so I think Zamir White definitely has that ability, but I'm just, I'll believe it when I see it. You know what I mean? I don't want to start hyping him up and this dude goes down again for another, with another ACL. You know what I mean? So Georgia, I feel like Georgia's running back this year is definitely the least proven it's been. 
since shoot, since probably Isaiah Crowell was there. You know what I mean? It's I think offensive line, we don't people don't know who the starters are on the offensive line. They just don't know the names yet. But with the way George is recruited on the offensive line, like I feel confident that they're gonna have a successful offensive line that can it's a different run the ball and protect the quarterback. And and uh I'm just it's ironic to say, you know, as a Georgia fan, because Justin Fields was on our team, but I do want to see what Georgia looks like with a with a quarterback that can run. Yeah. What are your expectations? What do you think? What does Georgia do this fall? I know you've got them winning the SEC East, but uh, final record, biggest trap game. What do you think? Um. So the final record, I, I have them going nine and one. Mm-hmm. I have um. I am losing that that road game in Tuscaloosa. I um. So you think they're sweeping Tennessee and Florida? I do. Okay. I um. I worry about the Tennessee game, but I, I don't worry about tennis, the Tennessee game as much as Auburn. I've, I've, uh, and I what should throw I'll Auburn in too. Yeah. Cause like, I if you look at that Tennessee, stretch, when you look at that stretch, they're all, okay. So Auburn will be top 25 or top 10. Tennessee yeah. is top, is rated right now. They're top 25. Bama, obviously top five. Kentucky is going to be a top 25 team and Florida's top 10. Like that stretch, they're only playing top 25 teams. And this is even if the Pac 12 and Big 12 are playing or in the Big 10 are playing. Like those are all, arguably top 25 teams Kentucky you could say it's close but like Terry Wilson's healthy and they have a bunch of talent returning too. Kentucky is definitely respectable right like that's just a brutal brutal stretch I think the the 2021 Georgia Tennessee game is going to decide the SEC East I think it's going to be like national game of the week I think it's going to be huge at in Knoxville I think that's going to be when Tennessee will be there You'll still be there? Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, man. For, should, I'm here for yeah, the long yeah. haul. You should uh, throw me some tickets, man. Help me out with that student. Can we get to one <laughs> podcast before you start hitting me up? For, uh, for so, um, so, but that's that's a year away, though. I still I still think Tennessee is – I'm – Jared Guarantano, I just uh, – well, well, we'll save Tennessee. About, we'll get to Tennessee. We'll see about Jared Guarantano. So, I'm not sure about Tennessee this year. I just – it's the Auburn game, second game of the season that worries me so much because I honestly think Kirby kind of just has an edge on Gus Malzahn. I think he's just kind of been in kind of in his head, to be honest. I think Enter Chad Kirby Morris. made a comment. Like, say that again? Enter Chad Morris, though. Chad Morris, the game changer. That could, that could change some things for sure, but Gus, it's still Gus's offense, right? I mean, he's still calling the plays, I would no, assume. No, he's not. So that's not part of the agreement with Chad that, Morris. That could definitely change some things. And but Gus does this all always, the time. Gus has done this multiple times. He's brought in other coordinators and been like, "Yeah, they're calling plays." And then he's like, "No, no, no." Midway, he's like, "I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start calling plays again." Like he never. Well, I remember Kirby about, made a comment yeah. like in his first year. He was like, when the Auburn game was coming up, he was like, "I feel like I've literally been preparing for Auburn for the last like 20 years because literally at playing at Georgia." Being a coordinator at LSU, being a coordinator at Alabama, now head coach of Georgia, he literally plays Auburn every single year. And if you look at the history of the Georgia-Auburn rivalry recently, other than the game Auburn won in the regular season in 2017, it's like Auburn scores on the first possession of the game and doesn't score another point. They don't get, they almost don't gain another yard. It's, it almost seems like Gus Malzahn puts so much on film in a season's body of work that Kirby knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? He's just able to prepare and make adjustments and know exactly 
how to defend Auburn. And having Auburn the second game of the season and if Chad Morris kind of, if he does shake up what the offense looks like, that's definitely a game that worries me because I just, I'm used to Auburn being that, like that, like SEC finale for us, you know, and then we get to take a break and go beat Tech before the SEC championship. <laughs> I, uh, I just like Auburn in that November slot where we have our whole season to prepare for that game. It's like just that, that might be the best. That, I mean, who knows? I think Alabama's going to be better, but Auburn could be better than Florida. That could be the second best team on Georgia's schedule in week two. It's very possible. I think Georgia goes eight and two. I think asking nine, winning nine and 10 with all these changes and all this turnover and that, that kind of schedule early on. I just, I think it's a recipe for two losses. And I am still going to say the Florida wins, wins the SEC East this year. Um, okay. So obviously Florida and Bama are the two losses. Yes. Okay. And then what are you, are you saying? Florida goes nine and one? Yeah, I do. I think Florida okay. goes nine and one. I got I like Florida, Florida losing schedule at, at Texas A and M. Say it again. I got Florida losing at Texas A and M early. Watch out I mean, for it. It's a Florida big game for Texas A and M. Florida's replacing five of their top seven receivers. Yeah, I mean Van Jefferson, but like none of that is like a big thing for them. Like that's the uh, Florida. It just I think that helps them. Dan Mullen's like great less returning skill talent. Great. I just don't know, man. Like P Ryan. They had no running game last year, and now P. Ryan's gone. I just I don't know who their running back is. Their offensive line hasn't been impressive. I love Kyle Pitts. He's we a could, Kyle Pitts, he's a baller for sure. But Javon Grimes should be good. Everyone loves to hype up Kadarius Tony, but it's like you know he looks like a shiny toy. And he, he's super quick and super explosive, but he just he doesn't really do anything. You know, he just I think he had maybe one two touchdowns last year. He just. I don't know. He seems like that throwback Florida player, but he's just not nearly as good as Percy Harvin and Chris Rainey or Jeff Dimps or any of those guys that he seems to get compared to. Next up, America's team, the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, <laughs> Is this America's team? <laughs> America's team, the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, I'm not aware of that. What would you guess Mark Stoops' record is at Kentucky? Ooh, uh... You gotta give me how many years has he been there? Uh, seven. Seven years. Um, I'll say 40, 42 and forty. Holy shit! You're extremely close. Forty four really? and forty four. Forty four and forty four. He's wow. literally five hundred, almost ten years into his tenure. And that's that's respectable. At Kentucky, for Kentucky, that's like sure. unbelievable. But see, this is the thing, Georgia. Georgia's been like the only – Georgia and Florida are the good teams in the East. I feel like since the split of the SEC, the schedules in the East and the West are just so drastically different in how difficult they are. It's almost like like an eight, nine-win season at Kentucky, it, it looks impressive on the on the surface. But if you look at almost every year, they're going four and four in the conference. You know what I mean? And it's like they're it appears that they're doing well because they're beating up on these garbage out of conference team because they don't ever play anyone good out of conference other than the years that Louisville is good, which was that was the years Lamar Jackson was there. It was good. And they blew Louisville out like they won their last four straight. So they're they're riding a hot streak um, coming into this year. But like they 
they don't really beat anybody good. They just beat who they're supposed to. Like they get shut yeah, out exactly. by Georgia. They lose to Tennessee. They lose to South Carolina. They almost beat Florida. It seems yeah. like every year, but they they only beat them that one time. But it seems like they're every year they almost beat Florida for years. What would you guess their offense was nationally last year? Um, Without I mean, throwing a pot like a four. I mean, pass. it had to be like it had to be like the ninety fifth ranked offense or something. Seventy sixth. Seventy. Okay, that's, like, that's better than I would have thought with a running or the wide receiver playing quarterback. And they didn't even pretend that he could play quarterback. They're just like, no, he's just going to carry the ball like 25 times. <laughs> right. And it was, and it actually worked. I, I got, I give bad props to Lynn Bowden for doing that. I don't, I don't think a lot of guys would do that. That's true. Um, he like did the reverse Antoine Randall. L. Uh, <laughs> I just I don't like this offense. I still am not a Terry Wilson believer. I'm not a Joey Gatewood guy. I think this offense still is going to stink, and I think that's just been the biggest indictment on Mark Stoops' tenure. There, he's gotten the defense. He's gotten his Josh Allen. So you have JJ Weaver coming in there. I just think this offense still stinks, and I don't see a path to this offense getting better this year. I think five and five feels right, um, and it's just funny because that's it would keep him at five hundred at this point (laughs) like so shout out to him keep that 500 record but i just there's nothing about this team that really makes me think you know kentucky could break through this year i think kentucky if i'm a kentucky fan i'm nervous because i think south carolina has made some strides and i think bobo is a really good replacement hire for them and helsinki is still highly touted and they have obviously the five star coming in right after that so they're recruiting a little bit better they have marshawn Lloyd once he get returns like they're on the up and then tennessee's obviously going to take that mantle from them like their look their moment to really cash in on a week florida a week tennessee a week south carolina week vanderbilt week missouri they didn't cash in and i think mark stoops missed his moment and i think that is something that should worry a lot of kentucky fans is that everybody else is on the up and up outside of vanderbilt and i think that means bad things for kentucky football in the next couple of years and also their schedule sucks like their schedule is actually low-key brutal because they open at auburn loss old miss at home loss mississippi state at home maybe win but i would probably pick mississippi state in this game so i'll give like they'll beat one of the two and i think i might actually pick mississippi state just because I don't see Kentucky scoring enough um, against Mike Leach's offense to win that game. So they're looking at one and two there on the road at Tennessee loss one and three Georgia at home loss one and four at Mizzou. So even like a good game for them is on the road. <sighs> I guess I'll give them a win here. Cause I'm really, really low on Mizzou as we'll get to. So that's two and four can Vanderbilt at home three and four Bama on the road, three and five on the road at Florida three and six. South Carolina at home, they four and six maybe is actually their better. I just talked myself into four and six. Yikes! Yeah, I went. Uh, I went eight and five. I gave him those wins over Ole Miss and Mississippi. Eight and five. State. Wait, what? How do you five? Oh, five and five. I was like, what? The, uh, I, uh, I gave him those early wins over Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, I wasn't convincing, but yeah, like you said, their schedule is definitely brutal. It's like five. Five and five, lose to Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, Bama, Florida. That's essentially what you said. You beat the teams you should and lose to the teams that are better, and then you just end up around five hundred. That's that's been Kentucky football essentially. 
It's brutal. And it's at least nice to beat some bad teams, unlike they, they once did. But I think 2018 was definitely their shot because Georgia, Georgia lost a lot from that team that went to the national championship. It was kind of a, they had to replace essentially the entire defense and having to go to Lexington in that big game in November. It's like that was like the stars aligning for Kentucky. And it was like I, as a Georgia fan, I'm a warrior as a fan. I'm just like I'm always the guy that's nervous going to the game. Like, you know, sit on the edge of my seat. I'm just a nervous kind of fan. And this is like big time national top 10 matchup. And I was. My heart wasn't even racing. I was like, it's Kentucky. And we got, they forced a three and out, like first possession. I think Nico Hardman almost took a punt back and we scored easily, like first drive. I was like, yeah, this, it's Kentucky. Let's not get, let's not get swiped up, fellas. You know, it's like, and that was, that was the best team. I mean, they've had since, since Andre Woodson, really. So I just, you just can't, I just can't take Kentucky seriously. And especially this, this format, this 10-game schedule is not nice to them. It's like they they needed those Eastern Michigan and Murray State wins built in to give them to give them to a 8-9-10 win season, something like that, and a, and a favorable West schedule. It's like having to play Auburn and Alabama in the same season. It's like I, I, that's just too much for Kentucky to do anything. Next up, the team I really hate, really hate this team, the Missouri Tigers. Um, Who hates Missouri? It's just, they just do dumb stuff, and I think they kept Barry Odom too long, and they had Derek Dooley. Like, they just do dumb stuff. Everything everything since Gary Pinkle, I'm just like, what are you doing? Missouri is just doing everything wrong, doing everything I would not do. Um, Kelly Bryant just being a disaster for them last year was really disappointing. Um, their defense was actually not that bad under Barry Odom this past year, but he still got fired because the offense just was somehow worse than Kentucky. So would you like to guess what their offensive efficiency was last year? Oh man, if Kentucky was 75, what are they? 83, 83. Okay. This offense stuck. They get Larry Roundtree back, but all new receivers, a lot of new faces on the offensive line, new quarterback and Sean Robinson. Like they, they kept a lot of the same staff over on the defense, um, bringing in Eli Drinkwitz from App State. He went 13-1, and one, but he only had a year. Like, get a year. This has a lot of um, Chad Morris vibes to me, where I'm like, eh, this is going to be bad. And Eli should have stayed at App State for a couple more years. Like, this is a bad job for him to jump into, and I don't think he's ready. I don't think they're going to recruit at the level they need to. Um, the Gus Malzahn protege label, always concerning. I think if you're a fan of <laughs> front offenses in 2020, um, Missouri, I think will, uh, will stink this year. And I think Missouri fans, unfortunately, like I I'm low on Kentucky, but I'm even lower on Missouri. I think they're going the wrong way. I don't like this hire. I think it was the worst off season coaching hire of anywhere in, uh, FBS one in the power five. This is bad. And, uh, sorry. I don't hate Mizzou fans. Mizzou, you're you won the SEC two out of the first three years you're in the SEC. Oh, Those days the, are gone. They won the East, not the SEC. Well, that's what I'm saying. The East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those days are gone. They are not doing that anytime soon. Would you like to guess who their first two games are? Our first three, excuse me. Oh yeah, I know the the schedule is a it's a gauntlet. Hosting Alabama first on the road at Tennessee. I'll be there at LSU. So they're 0-3. Yeah. 
Vanderbilt at home, one and three. On the road at Florida, one and four. Uh, Kentucky, I think we both think Kentucky's going one and five. Georgia at home, one and six. On the road at South Carolina, toss up. I'll give it to him. Two and six. Arkansas at home, three and six. Mississippi State on the road. I think it's a loss. That's three and seven. You're being generous, man. I, I didn't give him that South Carolina win. Okay, then they're I, two and ten. I got two, two and eight. eight. Yeah. I just Missouri. You're not ready for bad Mizzou. Mad Mizzou is coming. I think that's this this ten game format. It really it's going to show how different, how far apart the good and the bad teams truly are because you just don't have those three, four free wins built in your schedule to make you bowl eligible and you go seven and five so you feel good about yourself even though you only won three games in the sec you know they're just a nightmare and if i'm a mizzou fan i'm just already pulling my hair out at like where things are headed because it's just (laughs) not a fan and it's and it's weird too because i felt like that team that had drew lock like i feel like that was actually a low-key pretty good team like i think they were florida was second best team in the sec that that year in the east that year but i felt like that was the year i might be getting my years confused but they they smacked florida bad a couple years ago like they were i think they went 500 that year though i want to say they went 500 okay so missouri is um i don't know it's they're in, a, they're in a tough spot right now. I'll say that. And um, this this schedule, this new SEC schedule was not kind to them. I think I think that's what the SEC, what Greg Sankey was thinking. He was like, you know what? Arkansas and Missouri are already going to be trash. Just go ahead and give them the two best teams in the West and the two best teams in the East. It's not going to matter. They're not going to be Yeah, two and eight It's not changing anything from Owen. Exactly. That would be funny if that was their, their line of thinking. Um South Carolina. They went six and six. Or what I feel like they just I just type them in as six and six. What did they go last year? Uh, four and eight. They Excuse went four me. and eight, yeah. yeah. Um I think five and five feels about right for them this year. I like the Bobo hire a lot. I am still just uncertain about what Ryan Helsinki is. He might not even win the job I read reports about because guess who also joined him at QB camp? The quarterback who was really good at Colorado State with Mike Bobo. So Helsinki, what is it? Helinski is now going to compete with Colin Hill, who was really good at Colorado State. And by all accounts, reading reports from camp, that's an open job. And he's not getting gift wrapped that job. And I don't think he was all that great. I mean, even the Georgia game, I mean, he was a warrior, but that game was still just like a, a, a not a slobber knocker and it was just yeah gross. i mean he, he had that one deep ball and then they had to pick six it's like their offense essentially did nothing no. the entire rest of the game they were 104th scoring nationally last year that offense was somehow like must champ man he recruits really well he obviously gets a lot out of the defense but man making your guy that offensive coordinator he just makes bad choices on the offense like he just he doesn't make the right hire and it's if you're a fan if you're a fan of a team like south carolina you're just like i love what muschamp brings on one side of things and i know he can recruit at a really high level for south carolina i know our defense will be solid but why is mcclendon our offensive coordinator like what are we doing 
Why? Yeah, I mean, he's literally trying to turn him into UGA East. Right, like, it just doesn't work. Georgia you don't have the players to do that. It's like, must, who's it? must Chan, Bobo, Joe Cox, McClendon. It's, right. It's insane how many Georgia, former Georgia Is guys. Is Joe Tereshinsky going to be the OC in two years? <laughs> Maybe Joe, Joe Tereshinsky has a solid pull right there. <laughs> um but yeah, you say five and five, and it's funny because I feel like that's what I was thinking. I was like, you know, I'm still a believer in Muschamp, but he's not like a lost cause. Like, but then you actually look at the ten games, and I, I can't find five wins. Like, I, I'm struggling to find three wins on this schedule. Like, if you just look at South Carolina opening, they're losing Tennessee, to Tennessee, at Florida. Home. Those are losses, most yeah. likely. At Vanderbilt, I'll give you a win. Auburn at LSU, two losses. So that's one and five. Texas A&M. It, oh, that's oh, a locked rivalry, right, since they joined the SEC, and they've yet to beat A&M. And at Ole Miss, I'm not giving them that. Okay, can I'll I revise this? this? What's that? I'm going to say, with this schedule, a three and seven South Carolina is really like five and five. Um, it's like the BCS standings where we're like we're giving them we're giving them some bump for this schedule, but they're better than their record shows. I mean, they're they could be better than their record shows, but yeah, I I literally predicted them two and eight, and I was like, two and eight? Are they really going to be that bad? But I mean, if they went four and eight last year, they probably have wins over the Citadel or or something to get them to those four. So. I'm I'm struggling to see many wins on South Carolina's schedule. Can we talk for a second about like how stupid of an argument that is with people going the doomsday route of like, oh, this is the end of the cupcakes. It's like, no, this is why cupcakes are always going to be around. Arkansas would go 0-12 every year. No, you need that for Ole Miss to get bowl eligible. They need those three games. Like a lot of these teams in these Power Five conferences, they need to get to the bowls and they need those gimmies. They just do. they can always they can always change the the qualifications to to make a bowl game. You what, know what three I mean? and seven South Carolina gets in bowl games now. I mean, there's the they might get in the pinstripe bowl. You know, it's like there's so many damn well, bowls. That's now. the Big East or whatever ACC uh, Big Ten challenge. Up there in New York, I don't think they qualify. And I wish I could pull a more uh, Cheez-Its bowl or a, a more obscure bowl that the I know bowl. the Insight.com bowl back in the day, but um, that's probably long gone. The Camping World bowl isn't that just the Outback bowl? I thought I is it now? I'm I think it's like I camping get... outdoor stadium. I don't know. There's a lot of them. Oh and... no, Outback bowl is a uh, is one in Tampa. No, that's Orlando. Tampa. No, Outback Bowls. Capital One Bowl is the one that's always in Orlando. No, Capital so that, One is the one in Tampa. No, no, no. You're you're reversing. Hold on. Outback, Outback Bowl is Tampa. I'll, I'll bet you. No, but, Outback Bowl is Jacksonville. No, the Gator Bowl. That's is Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Oh yeah, yeah, Outback Bowl is Orlando. I'm sure of it. Hold on. I'm telling you, man. As as a lot of underachieving Mark Rick seasons, I went. God, I, I'm wrong. I it, is in, it is in Tampa. In, uh, Crap. It is the Mark Rick classic, the Outback Bowl. Yeah, I remember playing um, Wisconsin Outback Bowl. Uh, and they that Michigan State, that good Michigan State team that had Le'Veon Bell on it. They lost in like double overtime. That was Outback Bowl, too. All right. Well, we have Tennessee left and we have Vanderbilt left. Uh, I, you can have 30 seconds on Vanderbilt. I'm not giving. Like, they're going 0-10. 
Like, there's no way around it, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they never seem to lose all their games, but if I'm predicting it, I'm not going to predict them to win any of those games. Like, I just, they shouldn't be better than any team on their schedule. Like, you know, my favorite thing about maybe, maybe Missouri, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and maybe South Carolina. South Carolina is real bad, but it's like, those are the only four maybes, and uh, they're they're not beating any of those teams. It, I mean, I I don't know. Cam Johnson's cool, I guess, but this is uh this is bad. I mean, they're getting they're just the weird thing about Derek Mason. In this group is like they're just bad everywhere. Like this is just a bad team all across. He's not even like. And these other teams where like Muschamp, they can go, they can be bad, but their defense is still solid or Mizzou's defense can still be, it it can still be fine. Kentucky can struggle on offense, but they still have this other stuff. Yeah. It seemed like there were some years where Vanderbilt's defense was solid. So you kind of put up with the mediocrity, but now it's just, now it's just awful. (laughs) They were 95th in scoring last year on defense and they were 125th on offense. Oh, wow. Is that bad? <laughs> like they're just atrocious, and not firing Derek Mason and just hiring two veteran coordinators and Fitch and uh, uh, Roof just to like try and plug the holes is just unbelievable. I cannot believe. He I kept feel like job. they just like Derek Mason. I feel like everyone just likes Derek Mason. It's like, is he good? All job? SEC coaches. I'm not like really him. sure, but I, I like him. I feel like everyone just likes how he speaks, and he just he seems like a real rah rah guy. Like, like I can get behind that guy. But is he the new Bobby Johnson? no but he was respectable man he had uh some you know like a nine win season or something he was a jefferson pilot sports superstar jefferson pilot sports (laughs) that's throwback right there i miss j i'm i'm i miss jps like that was (laughs) i do not i do not miss that at all now having those games on sc network i feel like it's at least like quality production no i don't that's what i'm saying i i miss the the shitty quality i miss Schaefer oh, yeah coming in with rick clausen and just uh, some really nasty looking visuals with michael spurlock not being able to throw a forward pass with old miss like that is that is the bread and butter wasn't it the two gregs who ran uh that show was it uh the the play-by-play were they the two gregs or something two mics not mike and mike oh, i don't even greg jefferson pilot i gotta see this because there is there a oral history of because... it they, uh, dave neal oh it's the daves you're right it's the two days that what it was yeah it's the two Dave neal made that call that ella that kentucky lsu game that yeah where um uh, my man got deflected yeah right he gets the 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 ice bath yeah that was wild man that was was that real on davy really that was one of my early great college football memories honestly i was like 12 years old yeah well let's Save the best for last, the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, I think they're a year away. Harrison Bailey, we'll have to see. But by all accounts, baby Peyton, just <laughs> okay. Um, which is nice. Jarrett Garantano is... I was listening to somebody the other day, and this is an interesting point. This came from Vault's Quest, uh, the Rivals podcast, which is very good that everybody should check out. But they uh, made this point about Jarrett and the reason that there's a disconnect between fans and uh, the coaching staff with how they see him is that Jarrett is the only quarterback on that roster who can go up to the line and read a defense. Brian Maurer is fun, but Brian Maurer cannot read a defense and no one else in this roster can go up to the offense and be like, all right, I'm going to check out of this because the defense is giving me this. 
yes, he doesn't take chances. Yes, he has made some really dumb plays in his past, but like he was really great in that Mizzou game. He is solid. Like if you plug, he, he's Jake Fromm. Like that's who Jared Garantano is. Jared Garantano. Whoa, whoa! Oh, yeah, take, 100%. take that disrespect away. If man. you put Jared Garantano in Jake Fromm's position the last three years, yes, he is. They have the exact same numbers, the exact same look. Georgia fans feel about them the exact same way. Hundred percent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna respectfully. <laughs> I want to disrespectfully disagree, but I'll respectfully disagree with you, J- Jake Fromm. I feel like last year gives people like like sets the narrative on Jake Fromm because he regressed a lot last year. But I feel like people don't give him credit for how good he was in 2018. He was literally like, he was probably the best quarterback in the country that wasn't at the Heisman ceremony that year. You know what I mean? It was like Tua, Kyler Murray and Haskins. He was like the next best quarterback in college football that year. Like he was legit, like perfect that season. Like, Georgia had a well-balanced offense, so he doesn't put up the huge passing numbers, but he was crazy efficient that year. But the good news for Tennessee, I digress on Jared. What are you saying? Uh, we got Henry Toto, my my man, the new Manti Teo, running the defense. Seventy-two tackles last year. He's gonna be great. So keep an eye out for him. He's probably the second, third round pick in the NFL draft. Just just saying. Trey Smith, okay, first rounder, top ten. Fill in the Andrew Thomas role. Cade Mays is gonna get gonna get the clearance. He, he wishes he was Andrew Thomas. So you're getting the the five stars across the board in the offensive line. You got Ty Chandler back, but you got in all honesty, Cade Mays isn't gonna be. He's probably not gonna be eligible, right? I think he is. I think he, they're they're already appealing it. I think he's gonna get it. Uh, I mean, I don't know why anyone's getting their appeal denied at this point. Like, just fucking just, just sorry for the language. Just let anybody be eligible at this point. Eric Gray averaged 5.3 yards per carry last year. He was budding, especially down the stretch. Eric Gray's going to be a star running back. Like, he's just going to be really good in the system. And So is Eric Gray going to be better than Ty Chandler? Yes. I think he'll be starting, getting the majority of the carries. Ty Chandler, I think, is going to get usurped by Eric Gray sooner rather than later. Okay. D'Angelo Gibbs, former UGA legend D'Angelo Gibbs, <laughs> um, also a friend of the pod. He is going to be a star. Get some... Got some Tyree Kill to him. Got some. Uh, I taught him. Uh, he's one of the. He de- he's, he's never ran the, the few, forty. He says. Is that right? He's one of the few five stars I've uh, I've covered in my in my Forsyth County news days. Yeah, he bounced around in high school when like he was Grayson at uh, Peachtree Ridge. Ridge. Yeah. yeah, when he was at Peachtree Ridge, they beat West Forsyth, I think, in the first round of state tournament. And he was actually playing. I remember telling my brother this because he was playing wide receiver and. He just looked more fluid playing wide receiver. I was like, this guy, he looks like a wide receiver. And I thought it was interesting. I think it was just like a roster issue they had at the Under Armour All-American game. Because everyone ranked him as a rated him as a safety coming out. But he played wide receiver in that Under Armour All-American game, which I always thought was weird. But he looked more fluid as a receiver. So see, I'm curious to see what he can do at receiver. Because, I mean, he's... He's what six two, two ten, two fifteen. Like that's that's a big body at receiver, and he's obviously a good athlete. So I'm I'm curious what Juwan Jennings is finally gone. Right, he's been there for seventeen years. Well, he 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 is gone, and um, he's gonna probably start for the Niners this fall. Actually, um, so shout out to him. But yeah, he was solid. 
I mean, there was that one game. Uh, do you remember when Tennessee was in Athens and Josh Dobbs was under center and no, Juwan Jennings um, was involved really. in a particular play? It doesn't ring a bell. No? I can't. It was Juwan Jennings. I don't, I don't understand the reference. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, re- I, recall, I recall such things. That seems like it was eight years ago. Yeah, because like Jacob Eason like, was – quarterback at that time that feel like it feels like he has not yeah. been the georgia quarterback I, a lot of georgia fans i've talked to said that is the loudest moment they've ever experienced like people are a season ticket holders for years and that's the loudest moment they've ever experienced in sanford stadium was when easton hit riley ridley on that like 50 yard touchdown pass oh so you do remember that portion of the game i do remember that person portion and then there's like eight seconds left and i don't remember what happened after that i blacked out mm, i think you kicked the ball out of bounds and then gave Tennessee good field position and uh, let them. Okay. Oh, because yeah, because they Rico McGraw, I remember, uh, was a safety at Georgia. Uh, he played some as a freshman, but he's a random player. He was the one that got ran onto the field without his helmet off, and got we got like a fifteen yard penalty on the kickoff. And it was like, I swear, I watch college football all over the place, and I see dudes. Crazy plays happen. Dudes run onto the field with their helmets on, without their helmet on. It gets called against Georgia. I swear, I'm not biased at all. They only call it against Georgia. Grinds my gears. You got to no, get over. I this. remember that happening. And then obviously this. they were able yeah. to get. I don't even. Did they kick it out of bounds? Is that how they got such good field position? I'm or? misremembering that. Was I it like a Georgia kicking it out of bounds? I could be wrong, but I thought the they kick did. definitely got backed up. Maybe they returned it past midfield or something. But yeah, or so. maybe it was a squib. Was this the game where they squibbed it and they brought it up to the 40? This might have been a squib situation. He either kicked it out of bounds or he squibbed it. It was one of the two. It's not important. It was dumb. Whatever Jordan <laughs> did, it was one of those dumb things where you're like, what, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but anyway, Oklahoma actually did the same thing against Georgia. So you got your comeuppance. Remember at the end of the half, they decided to. Yeah, that was uh, that was Tay Crowder. One of the was, dumber uh... things. He was the Johnny on the spot, as they say. That was so weird. That that really did change the complexion of that game, too. Like, 17 points going to the half versus 14. I feel yep. like it, it just kind of changed the whole the whole mindset Georgia had. And then Chubb broke off that big run, and it's like now it's seven-point game. Now it's a new ball game. Georgia fans still talk shit about that game and just, like, that was maybe one of the best five cultural games in our lifetime, but also like Oklahoma was still up big and like Baker was obviously great. And like Oklahoma was still just like a formidable, like whenever Georgia wins games like that or Notre Dame or whoever, like even though it's close throughout and it's clear that the teams are close, it's just like, ha, showed them SEC. Right. Like I, I love to talk smack about Oklahoma because I mean, they just, they win their conference every year and then lose in the playoff. It seems like, you know what I mean? And I'm just, at this point, I'm not even convinced how good the Big 12 is. It's I mean, just, they're putting out first overall quarterbacks year after year. Like, they got some They're clearly good, and it's just you can't really use Georgia in that narrative because all the other teams have pretty much blasted Oklahoma. It's like that Georgia-Oklahoma game, We for one, we were losing big, and it was like one of the greatest games in college football history. So we can't really talk smack like they don't deserve to be on this stage Right. We literally beat them in double overtime. But Georgia fans will scoff at Oklahoma just like they're not in our league. It's like, what What are you talking about? Notre Dame's not in our league. They've played you close both times. You won by a couple points both times. It was one position. That's valid. But like last year, last year was one of the years I was 
I was I I disliked Oklahoma more than more than some years because I feel like the Big Twelve usually has a couple good teams, but like last year it was Baylor. It was like so they beat Baylor, but that was their one good win on the season, and they got to Big Twelve championship and they beat Baylor. So it was like okay, well we know they're good. We know they're better than Baylor, but do we actually know how good they are? Texas is like a five six win team. Like mm-hmm. who's the next Kansas State? Well, Iowa State, I think, put up like fifty on them or something, right? Like Kansas State was probably the third best team, so I'm not even sure who Oklahoma even beat last year, and they get in the playoff because the Big Twelve is kind of weak. True. And then Georgia, I mean, we had like what ten, fifteen, twenty guys sitting out that Sugar Bowl game, and we beat Baylor. So, like, I don't even. What happened the year before? Ah, that's not important either, man. (laughs) Our players, our players got cocky on on social media, man. They didn't mm. show up. Mm. That's what it was. Got it. I mean, hey, Texas, Texas beat us. You know, I'm not going to deny that. But Georgia fans, if you ask them, like Texas I saw how I saw Georgia played against Alabama the previous game. Like they came out like getting after Tua. Jake Fromm was dropping dimes. That's the best game of Jake Fromm's whole career, honestly, that 2018 SEC Championship versus Bama. Like, our offense was clicking. Our defense was, like, getting after two. And our defense didn't get any pressure on the quarterback the whole year. So I feel like we were clearly – that was the best we could be. And then dudes were running their mouth on Twitter and everything, and they just didn't show up. Obviously, that's going to be the SEC. That's like the SEC's excuse every time a team loses a major bowl game. But it seems valid because you so you see these teams play, and you're like, wow, they're they're super tight. And then you see – You're out of your mind. I can't believe you You see Alabama play yeah. Utah, and they just don't show up. It's like it's hard to say anything other than they didn't show up because you saw how good they were the whole season. What is wrong with you? What is wrong I'm with saying, it's a convenient it's a convenient narrative for sure. I Texas won the game, but it's like But Georgia fans will never admit that. They're just like if you have a conversation they're like, "Oh, Texas sucks." And you're like, "What are you talking about?" Oh, uh, Sam Ellinger is he's he's so lame. He's 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 Tim he's like a diet Tim Tebow. But that's still amazing. And also Texas I think just got a five-star quarterback committed. Like I think Oklahoma and Texas both just got a pair of five stars, the number 1 and number 2 quarterbacks in the 2021 that, class. Is that 2022 or 2022 class? Yeah. That, that guy is. Yeah. Yeah, so that he just sounds like a Texas quarterback. What was his name? He does have a very Texas name. It was such a Texas name. What? Oh, I'm what pull this up. 2022. It's not Colton, but it's something like that. Uh Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers. Quinn. Quinn Ewers. I just yeah. I don't know. It just it felt like a Texas quarterback. Yeah. Matt, I think this is it for our opener. What do you think? How are you feeling? It was good, man. I thought it uh I thought it went well. Yeah, good signing. stuff. Get a mic. Yeah, man. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll step my game up. You gotta step your game up. Uh shout out to that Brookwood Grayson rivalry from Ten years ago, where they made that video, "Gotta Step Your Game." Um, anyway, that's a and wow, I remember that 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 rap video. Yes, you remember that? What I'm talking I about? Super remember Brooklyn that. Better step your game up. Yeah, that gets stuck in my head still from time to time. That was so great. Party didn't do anything like that, and I'm sure North didn't either. Oh, no, I said for years that we should play Project Pat North North. 
I said for years, like, that's what we, our team should be running out to every sport. Like, maybe we probably got to find the edited version. Project Pat's dropping some uh, <laughs> some words that aren't safe for, for Gwinnett County schools. But, uh, well, to be fair, North, you never North, hear those just, words. That'd be a, be a sick chant, you know? We're North Gwinnett. Yeah. The Bulldogs. Um, all right, Matt. Well, how do people follow you? What can people look out from you and uh, all that good stuff? Um, you can uh, you can argue sports with me on Twitter at Matt W Green, Matt underscore W underscore Green. Just hit me with some hot takes. That's that's what I'm good for is arguing with strangers on Twitter. See, I don't about do any sports. of that. Twitter is my. You don't, you don't get into that? No, I hate Twitter. Actually, I hate social media in general. So, like, I do what I need to promotion wise, and then I I leave it. I feel like. I'm yeah, I'm not I'm not a big Instagram guy. I think the only time I ever post on Instagram is like pictures of dogs and stuff, but it's like Wow, yeah, shots fired at your fiance. <laughs> Say what now? Shots fired at your fiance. Oh no, she she posts way less than I do, honestly. Like I at least I at least post occasionally. She uh she's not into the social media game, but um I don't even like talk to people I know on Twitter. It's like it's not like it's like a social thing. It's almost just like I'm just scrolling to see what people think, and then I'm like, I disagree with that opinion. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna let by, and then it's it's just fun, honestly. With no sports for so long, I feel like it was getting me through the day, man. It's like, oh, we don't know when we're gonna play sports game. We can hypothetically talk about how much better Georgia is than Florida. Let's go. Whatever you got to do, <laughs> Matt Green. Always a pleasure, sir. We will be back next Tuesday at SEC West, I think. Yes, sir. All right, Arkansas. Look out, Kendall Bryles, Barry Odom, Sam Pittman. We'll see, maybe a couple years from now. (laughs) All right, talk to you next week. Yes, sir. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.